Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. This is Wayne. My name's Chad. I'm Aisha. All right. So, so who here's playing some Gwent? I know. You gave, you gave me the expectant look. All right. Because this is our second take. This I'm like supposed to be take. all like all right. fired up and pumped up. So and Gwent, and I don't Gwent. care any more about it than I did the I, first take. No, you do care about it because you like bitching my, about my, it. All right. My, my top three card games mm-hmm. in a video game. Number one is still held by the card game that was built into the first Xenosaga game. So good. I really ought to go back, play that game, write down all the cards, and make, make the cards. Because mm-hmm. so freaking good. Second and third, and the only reason they're tied mm-hmm. is because until the release of a standalone Gwent game, which right. just occurred, it was effectively unplayable unless you were playing Witcher. So, therefore, up until recently, tied for the next two places was Gwent, and one that I enjoyed but also really liked because of the fact that you could play it with standard playing cards mm-hmm. with any two people, right? So, I mean, you could just sit down and play this anywhere was the game Caravan from Fallout New Vegas, which I thoroughly enjoyed Caravan. I don't remember it, and that's nothing against Caravan. I, I just It's been a long, long time since I played it. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed Caravan. Like I said, what I really liked was the fact that as long as you have two decks of playing cards mm-hmm. or more, but at least two just standard, you know, bicycle poker decks, mm-hmm. you can play this anywhere, anyone, whatever. The Your only part- end game in any game I ever got into was Liar's Dice in Red Dead Redemption. Which is a real game. Which is a real game. Yeah, Liar's Dice is a real game. The game they had in there that I hated, because it took me about two nights straight to finally get past, was the... A mumbledy peg one, the one where you have to stab the knife between your fingers. Oh, uh, mumbledy peg is where you throw a knife at people's feet. feet yeah, but, but um, people misidentify uh, it as tick, the tick, one. Tick, 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 yeah, tick, yeah. Um, you try to stab your. It's knife. called stupidity, but I mean, yeah, maybe it that's is just what I call it. It but, is. Yeah. It, it's like Darwinism for fingers, <laughs> right? But they had so it was a, a button combo yeah. thing where you had to really quickly push these button combos that appeared on the screen. And I'm just... It's its DDR for the Wild West. Well, yeah, and I'm on the wrong types of drugs <laughs> to be good at that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if they needed like somebody like, hey, we need you to pop a few pills, slow down, and think this through rationally, mm-hmm. I got the drugs for that. Mm-hmm. But I don't have the blow or the Ritalin <laughs> or anything like that yeah. to do this. And so I, I'm just, I'm too old for this shit. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I hope it's not in Red Dead Redemption 2, which... I hope comes out on the PC, but, you know. I don't know. There's a l- yeah, I know, right? They're, they're actually, well, yeah. I'll tell you right now, if there's one console worth owning simply for the exclusives, PlayStation 4. There have been so many console exclusives that I have been thoroughly I enjoying. Just borrow yours. and No, I, I, I respect that. <laughs> I respect that. That is a wise mm-hmm. investment of money. <laughs> of your money. <laughs> of my money. But speaking of PlayStation 4 console exclusives, there is a game that I should... Is it Gwent? <laughs> it's, not- it's not Gwen. Can I borrow your fidget spinner? Because I don't care about this thing. Unfortunately, it's not, what is it, uh, Triple Triad. Oh, Triple Triad! Which is, actual, oh. like, which is the actual best card game. Having played Caravan and Gwent and Triple Triad, Triple Triad is still the most fun. Where did Triple Triad come from? It's uh, Final Fantasy. Yep. It was nine, wasn't it? Okay. Was that the one Eight. that Eight. was... 
I remember the game in eight. I didn't know the name of okay. it. Okay, yeah, Triple Triad. You know, you're good. working your way through the world as a child soldier, just being a mercenary, and you know, and gambling, <laughs> and gambling <laughs> for cards instead of money. Uh, yes, that makes sense. That was about the only good thing about eight. It was painful in many ways, but but Gwent. Okay, Gwent. Is so Gwent is out. now out on a beta. Yeah. So now I will pick it up. Now that it's actually beta. available to yes. play because. Previously, it was not available to play. Except I did know someone. Me. I did know someone that was working on printing the Gwent cards. Yeah, but it was going to run about a hundred bucks or more per deck. Right, and, it was not going to be cheap. And it's not that the game or the math is complex, but they have cards where you lay a card down, and it's like it boosts by one point every card of this type in your of. hand and in your graveyard and in your deck. Well, my main problem with Gwent was I think um and George who runs the YouTube channel Super Bunny Hop I'll try to link to this video in the show notes but he noted that a lot of the cards only exist to be shitty cards to get upgraded from and that is just not a good look. Well, it, it depends on when he played last because when they transition to open beta, they no 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 he's he's talking about in game. Oh, oh, in the They game. rebalance yeah, yeah. a lot of the cards and mechanics. Like, for example, in the game Witcher, the way that you played Gwent was the first X number of rounds, X usually being a fairly large number, was alternating spy decoy, spy decoy, decoy spy yeah. decoy, spy decoy. Yeah, you, you basically shoved your hand up. But in the actual Gwent standalone game, it's totally different. Yeah, they balance it, that down. Oh, it's, and, it's very... There's like... Well, okay, I'm about to say it, it. there's a lot of subtlety, there's a lot of tactics, there's a lot of complexity to it, but there's a lot of CCGs out there and a lot of video game card games out there, and I'm sure that there's a group of people who are like, well, it's not Magic the Gathering. It doesn't even know what subtlety is. And then that's exactly what they're going to sound like driving down the highway listening to our show. <laughs> Just Gwent by itself, not comparing it to any other game, I find it to be personally a very tactical game, very subtle game. It's not pay to win. It's not the person who has like a zillion cards. You can be very competitive with the cards you are given. It's very easy to get more cards without paying like any money. I've paid zero money on this. I have some very good decks. There are factions. Each faction has multiple ways to play it there's just not one way it's like okay well i'm playing the monster so i'm gonna be this big brick and i'm just gonna smash no there's like different ways to play the monster decks in fact i think there's like three really good ways to play it that are hmm. totally different places. maybe styles. you should like organize the fear the boot what league and what in the f- do you think i'm doing and, right now and i want you to track this to the end of the tournament because the winner gets to go into the trial of the grasses to become <laughs> not a good thing. One in five people die. No, seven in 10 people die. Or no, one in five children survive. Yeah, it's three, 30%. Three out of 10 children will survive the trial of grasses, yeah. but they can undergo the trial of grasses to join our own fear the boot, Witcher school, the color animal school. <laughs> and ha. Huh. You don't know. Like, right? It could just coincidentally be a silver wolf, and everyone right. thinks you're from the wolf school, but you're not. No. You're no. just from the color animal school. Yeah, see, the silver wolf is like the metal silver. Yes. Ours is the color it's silver. It's the color yeah. silver, which yeah. is just best. It's a different breed Captured of by silver. <laughs> right. It's just all pure coincidence. Yeah. yeah. Do they learn to hunt Naro? No. <laughs> <laughs> that could be the normal school. The yeah, normal school. school. The normal school. Yeah. So. 
And Gnarl runs it, and he's pretty much just doing the trial of grasses just because it's hilarious to see how many kids he can get to drink the potion and die in convulsions. Fair. So, at the end of the day, Gwent is in open beta right now. Anybody can play. It's totally free. I really enjoy this game. And learn the game now, because Chad's putting together a ranked league. I know zero people who play Dan who need to play... Well, Carla plays Dan, so... but. That's not Gwent. And no. Dan needs to play Gwent. No, it's not Gwent. Because I'm fiending for some Gwent. So if there's people out there, then I will start a thread on our forums about getting okay. a Gwent league. And out. I will actually throw in some. If people play if this. people play it, If yeah. people play this. If it's just me. I will figure out some genuine prize support for the people that come in at the top of the league. Now, if it's just me and no one else plays, and then I play and I'm at the top of the league against myself and I win, can I have your PlayStation 4? You can borrow it. <laughs> Oh, well, that's I'll let you borrow it, because I've got a couple <laughs> titles on there that are really freaking good. Are they Gwent? Uh, no. I, I loaded to Brodor, but the entire Uncharted collection. Sure. First game's a little awkward, but it's worth playing just to have the story. Mm-hmm. Two through four, freaking outstanding. I've got Horizon Zero Dawn on there, which is a good game. The one that we're actually about to talk about here. Gwent? <laughs> no, Persona yes. I have on there, but I've, I've got some good titles on there okay. that are definitely worth playing. What... I want to talk about or what we want to talk about this episode. It's funny you should mention Persona. Yes, that's a, that was a great star wipe. <laughs> it's funny and not at all an attempt to make a transition to no, your topic. Not in the least. So star wipe. All right, now we're talking about Persona. So there is something that I was kicking around. This about. is not a video game episode, by the way. We are no. actually going to talk about role playing yes. topics. Yes, yes. All right, but well, and even this topic deals with multiple forms of entertainment, because this is something I've talked about with Aisha, but Chad, I've also discussed it with you in regard to TV shows and movies and some other things, which is things that on paper sound awful, but for some reason against all odds work. They just turn out to be really good. And if we have the time, we may cover the flip side of this, of things that sound great on paper and execute horribly. But one of the things I was commenting about Persona 5, the the game that just came out, is the fact that on paper, I ought to absolutely despise this game. If you get, in fact, I did not pick it up when it released because of the fact that all the screenshots, all the videos, all the elevator pitches I was given, every one of them just made my stomach turn. And this is a game I do want to borrow because Everything on paper makes me think I would love it. Yeah, right. But for me, it was a dating sim. Kind Kind of, of, yes. So, okay, it's it's this weird mashup of JRPG, Mm -hmm. like day-to-day sort of life simulator dating sim. Hmm. It has like a relationship management thing where you like give gifts and spend time with people. You have to like go through school and take tests. But then you're also fighting monsters and doing... This kind of weird, trippy fantasy adventure sort of thing. At night. And like a lot of JRPGs, it's super big on this overinflated sense of, I love philosophy, but don't totally get it. And so I kind of think I'm deeper than I am, right? The end of every Final Fantasy game, where... You're the dream of a thought on the cloud of oblivion and the dimension of dreams, which makes you real. Was that the whole time? Yeah. Which, which makes you real because people believe in you, but, but do you believe in yourself? And, and if you don't, how real can you be? Right. Uh, 
I could go on, but I'm throwing up in my mouth. <laughs> exactly. And see, as someone who disliked some of the movies like Akira for that exact reason, because of the fact that it was too filled with that stuff, there is nothing about this game I should like. Oh, and by the way, the final element in there is it also borrows heavily, especially in the visual elements, from visual novels. So I will, I will do a defense of Akira in that they squished a what? eight volume yeah, manga that's eight. like 400 pages of volume i mean the thing is really huge right into 90 minutes and so some know, things were lost a little <laughs> bit along the way that may be i have no doubt and that's true we can both agree that the animation towards time was gorgeous oh yes yeah. that, that i won't disagree mm. with the, the it was visually beautiful right mm. all right but the point is that there is nothing on paper about persona that i should like i mean this should be as far as i'm concerned the worst game to ever be released in the history of humanity. If I were listening to anything you said in the past five minutes, I would vehemently agree with you. I'm, I'm sh- what? <laughs> but it sounds like a game I would love. But the point is that when I sat down to actually play it, I loved it. I have already beaten it once, and I'm actually starting a second playthrough. I absolutely loved every minute of it. Hmm. Let's throw out some other examples here. Uh, well, before I get to that, Aisha, when you saw Persona, I've got to think you did not have the same prejudices I did. Honestly, when I saw Persona, I wasn't like really 100% sure what I was getting myself into. Was I the only one that knew about the series before this one? Yeah, because they made animes out of them. And- I knew about it, but I hadn't experienced any of it. And I was really heavily advised to try it out. So I'm like, oh, what the heck? I've got 60 bucks lying around. I hear it's worth over 100 hours. I'll pick it up. What's the worst that can happen? And I found myself really loving it instead. There's something to be said for getting 100 hours worth of play out of a modern video game. I got It isn't an open world one. My first playthrough was 140. Yeah. And you're expected to new game plus. Yes, <laughs> because there is a large portion of the game, or at least a noteworthy portion of the game, you don't see on the first playthrough. That's why I say, how many times did you play back through? Because I am sure there are multiple endings. Well, I'm, I'm starting my second playthrough now. I don't do multiple endings. I do one ending, and I do YouTube. Yeah, and I kind of do the same. But this is Dan. <laughs> well, Dan but does multiple he, endings. Right, right. But also there are things about the game that actually change how it progresses. And like your understanding of the game changes after it's I don't know. I don't want I don't want to get on, caught on a huge short rap trail in persona. Because there are other examples. Oh, because we, we didn't do that with Gwen. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't do it enough. <laughs> See, I, I would should... support going on about Persona because I'm interested, but I don't want it spoiled because I want to actually play it. We're right, and we're not going to. That's something I'm going to try very hard to avoid here is we're not going to spoil things. All right, but something else that fit this category. Let's move away from video games here. Something else that fit the same category is the TV show Gotham. On paper, I should hate Gotham. The only reason I started watching is because I'm a huge Batman fan. And so I'm like, well, I'll give it a try. But on paper, this is a show that surrounds Batman, but does not include Batman. That's strike one through two. (laughs) three. I don't know if it wasn't a baseball metaphor. This would be like every strike of the game right there. But on top of that, it mixes grimdark with camp. Mm -hmm. I know I'm one of the few. I did not like the Tim Burton Batman movies in the late 80s, early 90s. I did not like the dark camp phase that you got out of that era of movies, the late 80s through kind of the early to mid 90s. Let's not forget it cast Jada Pinkett Smith. You know, that didn't bother me. I I, I, I don't think I'd ever seen anything with her in it before that. 
she was like not on my radar. And then I saw her in that in Gotham. And the story takes a lot of liberties. I won't spoil anything, but the, the story takes a lot of liberties with the characters in terms of it keeps them sometimes faithful, very purely faithful. And other times it goes off to the far extreme where you're like, what the heck? This is not even vaguely what this character's story should be. And all the places of the middle, so the purest in me was getting bugged because this was not anybody. Like when I watched Smallville. I can imagine. But this was not, I mean, it's not a matter of like, oh, over the years, there's been this many tellings of Batman. They just went with this one instead of that one. No, I mean, they were completely forging new territory. And a lot of the characters that you think of and associate with Batman are children in this. And it's their parents, or in some cases, them as children. Everything about this sounds horrible to me. And the first few episodes were indeed fairly awkward. But once I got, I don't know, maybe midway-ish into the first season, I was absolutely hooked. And now Carl and I, we DVR it and watch it sometimes while it's DVRing, even though that means sitting through some commercials near the end of the show. I don't even know what a commercial is. And that is a high price to pay. (laughs) But it works. And Chad, I know you're with me on this one because... Well, here's my thing. I'm so tired of Grim Dark. I've been tired of Grim Dark for years now. You know, I grew up in the 90s, man. We had goth. We had the crow. We had all that shit. And it's like dark was so cool. And I don't know. Things just kept layering on, layering on. On one hand, things, and when I say things, I mean comic books and movies that maybe for kids and things like that, became more adult. Comic books became more adult. Sci-fi fantasy movies became more adult. Video games became more adult. And the stories that they tell. And I feel that there was a lazy way taken out with many of these things, not all, where dark meant that was your path to getting adult, to, to growing with your demographic, because they're not really all that talented of writers. Maybe they were talented writers when your audience was a younger set, but it just seemed like everything was marching down this path of grim dark, and I just got so burnt out on it. Gotham is dark in its setting, but it's actually not dark in its feel. And it has this, like you said, this camp that is like a thread that runs through it. And it works because it's not crazy camp. It's not like the 60s Batman TV series or anything like that. It, it isn't like silly. It's that you have this sort of setting that's dark. And then you have characters that find the humor in things and that they have a certain level of happiness or they have a, even a gallows humor where they're cracking jokes back and forth and stuff. And it, it, it's not that it's comedy. It's that when you cook, you can take a piece of meat, right? You take a piece of meat, you heat both sides of it. And it tastes like what it tastes like that meat, that piece of chicken, that piece of beef, that piece of whatever, right? It tastes like one right. thing. But then as a cook, like say you take a soup, right? You don't want your soup tasting like one thing. Like say you're making chicken soup. You don't want it to taste like chicken. You put herbs in it and you put meats in it and you put vegetables in it. And then you do that at different times so that they release their different flavors and stuff. And it makes not a new flavor, but this combination of flavors that evokes pleasure or joy or or fulfillment. So Gotham is doing that, right? Gotham is dark, but it has this sort of low camp. It has this sort of comedy, has this sort of characters that take a certain joy out of life. Even the bad guys who are really dark and negative have this certain joy. And this 
combines in such a great way as to make an entertaining. It also product. seems like they're a lot more careful about where they put the camp. Yeah. Because one of my problems with, like, let's say the t- the Tim Burton take on Batman was you would get a character where in one moment this character is very dark, very serious. You're supposed to be interpreting him through a much more mature lens. And then all of a sudden he does something stupid. Let's take Michael Keaton as mm-hmm. Batman, where you're supposed to take him in this more nuanced, more tormented light. And then Vicki Vale wakes up to find him sleeping, hanging upside down like a bat. Right. That's like, which is really, that, which is, I will admit that was pretty ridiculous. It was painful. <laughs> and I had noticed in Gotham, the camp seems to primarily reside with the characters that are insane. Right. For example, and this is, I think, spoiler free. If you look at the character played by, oh, who is the plays him? Is it Ben McKenzie? I'm, I'm getting the actress screwed up. Alfred. Yeah. Alfred's character. He is never campy. No. He's sometimes lighthearted, but he John is. John Pertwee. Okay, yes. Because I, he's John Pertwee's son, who is the third doctor, Dr. Right. Okay. So he, when his character is presented, he has good moods and bad moods, and he's lighthearted, and he's not always grim, dark, grim, dark, grim, dark. Right. But because he is a serious character and he is seriously minded, there is never a moment where he's, you know, bouncing around the house and mm-hmm. hanging off the rafters and yeah. whatever. He is always presented in a consistent way. And even the characters within the show, they call it out. I mean, they they sort of make these not quite fourth wall breaking observations. Mm-hmm. One of them is harvey bullock right in the current season he makes the observation that he's like does the morgue even mean anything anymore <laughs> yeah <laughs> or something to that effect he's like is that a morgue or a hotel or i, I don't remember mm. what it is he calls it but he makes some point about the fact that nobody stays dead in a comic book yeah and so you know he, he references the absurdity of it to himself and to the end thereby to the audience the third example that came to mind before we get to role-playing games is it our movie it is our movie. It's our movie that we can never convince anyone to watch. No. It's our it, curse, really. Well, because on paper, I can't give you any I, reason to watch it. I can't give you an elevator pitch other than trust me. Yeah. And I have to put all of my personal capital behind that. And that is... I'm lost. What movie is it? The Carl Urban Judge Dredd. One of the best movies that came out that day. And you mean just Dredd? Yes, it's just Dredd. Dredd. It, Dredd. Well, no, it's... Yeah. Dread by itself. There's no just in front of it. Star White. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but Dread. Yes. If you look at the movie on paper. Mm-hmm. And you're not a Judge Dread comic you're not book a, fan. Let's say you're yeah. not a Judge Dread super fan. The setup of it is you have this megalopolis. Mm-hmm. And I mean that both as the common noun and the proper noun. But just this huge sprawling city that, that has grown so big. I think it actually spans across a state or two. It is completely trash. It's, it's just nothing but garbage. And people have gotten so bad mm-hmm. that you, the justice system doesn't work. So you have to have these lone badasses that go street out judges and they are the judge, jury and executioner. And they go out and they even say pithy things like, I find you guilty and then kill <laughs> you. And, 
they have guns that shoot multiple kinds of bullets. And the whole thing, it's basically about Carl Urban's chin. <laughs> that, that is amazing <laughs> chin. It's, yes, this amazing chin. And that's why they had to make the movie optionally available in 3D. Was <laughs> I mean, there were these really cool scenes. So you can examine his chin hair? That, so that when he turns his head, you feel like you have to duck. Yes. And that's not 3D. You're like you that, put it on 3D glasses, I mean, you just put an eye out. Yeah, I would, that chin is coming right at you. And it's not like watching Watchmen in 3D where there's a giant <laughs> coming right at you and you you, you don't want to have to live through that. I mean, that's like, I'll put you in therapy. But Carl Urban's chin, mm-hmm. it's it's there. Now, there is also, I, I'm not a big fan of 3D, right? I think it's overused. I think people tend to make a lot of cheap cinematic tricks to sell an otherwise lackluster movie on 3D. I've only seen one movie in 3D that I thought did a good job of it, and that was How to Train Your Dragon. Well, here's the thing, though. With the Dread movie, they had a scene where the main villain was tripping on a drug that enhances your senses and slows down time. Okay, so it's kind of this weird adrenal ecstasy kind of thing. And she's sitting in a bubble bath at the time. And as like she's moving her hands, it's like drawing these arcs of the water that catch the light and all this stuff. And I actually watched it in 2D. And as I was watching that scene for the first time in my life, I can remember thinking, I really wish I was watching this in 3D. Hmm. There is nothing about Dread I can sell you on Hmm. by which you ought to like this movie. But it's amazing. I watched it. I walked out of theater. I'm like, I love this. And I can never tell anyone. Yeah. The story is great. It has a story. Yeah. The story is really good. The what? characters are wonderful. The acting is great. The special effects are wonderful. I think it's really important. Draw a line between you can't explain this well and you can't explain like even a good movie badly. College professors tries to stop an art school rejects side projects is a terrible way to explain Indiana Jones, but it does <laughs> technically work. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Stuff Maybe. like Persona 5 and Gotham and Dread, there is just no good way to actually explain. Yeah. You have to see it for I mean, time. you could, I guess you could do like this great big thesis where you justify and cite every single argument you have why they're good. But really, that's not how you sell your the, a movie to a friend. No, you do an well. elevator pitch. Yeah. If you did that much effort. There's no way I'd watch it. Mm-hmm. So role-playing game. Yeah, right. And, uh, well, I mean, to close out the thing on Dread, even, <laughs> even like the, the character nuance yeah. that comes from Carl Urban's chin <laughs> scorning. Doesn't, doesn't Carl Urban have like three lines and a grunt in the entire movie? <laughs> he, he has his chin. Yeah, all right, that's look, all you need. The chin needs an Academy you know, Award. <laughs> I haven't seen it, but I appreciate knowing he keeps the mask on. He does. He takes his helmet off he that once. Yeah, not it's that. Yeah, movie. not that I recall. Have you never seen it? No, I haven't seen I it. I just watched it yesterday. I rewatched it because I was bored. He never takes it off. There's this rookie with him, and he judges her harshly and doesn't want her on the job because he's the judge, right? Pass fail, guilty innocent. It's the world's very binary to him. They're trying to convince him to take her under his wing, and they're like, "Well, you know, she came really close, then she failed." Mm-hmm. And it's like, this should be, this sounds like terrible dialogue. Yeah. This sounds like terrible character development. It's not. And yeah. I, I can't sell you on this without Chad's mm-hmm. aforementioned yeah. thesis 
which is which would be spoiler filled and yeah. um, ruin the movie. All right, it. so let's. I did just have an idea. Dread is an example of why execution and planning are so far apart. Oh, I thought you meant execution, like killing someone. For no, a no, because no. we're talking about dread. Yeah, his his, ex- his planning and execution typically came pretty close together. Right, <laughs> <laughs> except well, the like, main villain because that was the out, but how you execute a story or you know voice acting or you know a movie is going to carry an otherwise mediocre script or anything else a lot further than you would think explain well okay so let's go to a terrible movie for an example batman versus superman because it was pretty bad street fighter oh god yeah yeah Everyone remembers that, and everyone remembers how bad the script was. Was it Raul Julia M. Bison? Yes. That was amazing. Raul (laughs) Julia, and it takes an absolute movie and turns it into a cult classic. And didn't it kill him? Because of the way he executed it. Yeah, it was his last film. Yeah, it's so bad he died. Which is the opposite of Orson (laughs) Welles, who transcended this play (laughs) after playing Unicron. And doing wino commercials <laughs> uh. the green penis mm-hmm. that was it that he didn't actually do green penis that was the pinky in the brain thing oh but i the, know That's, he, they were spoofing him the, he, the he, box wine commercials are amazing i mean he no, is blotto falling did, over drunk he did do pee commercials did he do pee yes commercials? he really did do pee commercials hmm. he never uttered the phrase the green, green penis, penis but but okay. he did do pee commercials huh. all right so I should continue. Street Fighter. Okay, so like with Street Fighter, you had this awful plot. Yeah. Kind of awful setting. Everyone else was awful. Van Damme was Van Damme. Raul Julia, his execution turned it from everybody's going to forget about this and pretend it never existed to I have to show you this. I can't explain why it's awesome, but you'll see M. Bison's acting and, you know, you'll get the picture. So I guess that's basically the only way to say it is it's a demonstration of why execution matters. Kung Fury. <laughs> I can't explain why it's awesome. Yeah, because it isn't. But it is. <laughs> I mean, it's fun, but awesome. <laughs> oh, it is exactly what it tried to be. Oh, that's fair. It was successful. It executed. It falls under the awesome category. Well, not cinematic genius. Sure. Let's try but to de- awesome. Let's try to deconstruct execution. All right, let's try to... In terms of a role-playing game? Yeah, yeah. It, it, or at least it is some kind of <laughs> useful advice for the creative arena. Because what is a role-playing game? It's storytelling. What is a movie? It's storytelling. What is a novel? It's storytelling. What is a video game? It's storytelling. You know, all these things obviously have quirks or idiosyncrasies because of their medium, but they still share a lot of basic ideas that are transportable from one to the next. And so let's for a moment look at execution, try to break it down. And there is one thing that I noticed about both Gotham and also about Kung Fury, which is both of them from the outset. The creators were very honest about what they had and what they were doing. Honest with themselves, right? In Gotham, when there is a bit of camp, they don't try to blend it in. It's supposed to stick out. It's supposed to look wrong. The other characters acknowledge. They describe its absurdity, right? They point it out to you. It's not like the Tim Burton Batman where they're trying to put camp and dark side by side as if these were seasonings mm-hmm. that, that make a, they don't. This is like a rock concert and a symphony playing side by side. 
they don't blend together. Actually, I was going to say, I saw Paige Plant play. No, I, I'm talking about completely contradictory concerts. Oh, okay. Like these, these have nothing to do with each other. Some, like they're just in the same festival playing on stages next to each other. Exactly. Everyone's like, what is going this on? This is not just mixed instrumentation or whatever. I never realized there was intentional camp in the 89 Batman. I thought Burton thought that everything was legitimately serious That's my and point. dark. That's my like, point. That he didn't plan it. That's my point, is I don't think he was honest with himself about what he had and what he was doing. And if you look at Kung Fury, what did Kung Fury set out to be? Kung Fury was a 20-25 was a minute long. It ridiculous, over the top. Basically, it's, it's a mashup of every trope of every 1980s trying so hard to be cool movie where you have all these things that are in there purely for the sake of gratuity. And they took that and what the eighties already had at a 10 and a half, they turned to 12 and there was no pulling the punches. There was no, they had no delusion about what they were making. Oh no. They hacked too much time. Yeah. I hacked time too much. I mean, come on. They just owned this right. Start to finish. They were honest about what they were working with. They didn't try to make it be something it wasn't. Let's talk about when I run a game like Transformers. You know, if I run it, whether it's for a home group or I've got a game of it coming up at Fear the Content. When I run Transformers, on some level, yes, I do try to mature it. I do try to get past the terrible writing and animation such of the 1980s cartoon. But I also still have to just own some of the stuff that's in there. I just have to accept that there are certain things in there. Like, for example, when Megatron transforms... I've got two options. Either he shrinks down to the size of a regular handgun, or he doesn't, and I have to pick which, and I have to stick with or it. Or he does both. Or he does yeah. both. You know, and Or you can take a gasoline gas pump and literally fill an Energon cube with pure energy by pumping gas into it. Precisely. And <laughs> you just... Which was in... Oh, no. I Believe me. I've yeah. seen yeah. enough of it. I and remember. And you just, you just own those yeah. things. I can think of a movie that didn't own what it was. I'm betting I'm probably the only one that saw it. Cop Out. This was a Kevin Smith movie with uh, Bruce Willis. Okay. Where it couldn't make up its mind whether it wanted to be a buddy cop movie or a comedy or a serious. And as you're watching the movie, besides just being really bad, the dialogue was bad, the script was bad, everything was bad, it couldn't keep a tone. It's like one minute, it's buddy cop friend movie. Next minute, it's serious cop movie. Did not know what it was. Did not own what it was, and I still don't know what it was supposed to be. Other I than in it's a bad movie. All the time as well, like you can't have, or you can have a role playing game, like especially say Shadowrun. You can have a game that goes back and forth really rapidly, but if you're trying to do a mournful death scene over the rigor, and then you immediately go into let's free animals from the zoo. It's just not going to work right. I think the bottom line to this, or at least to this piece of advice, is that if you are willing to accept what a story is and what it's about and what its quirks are and all that kind of stuff, it gives you an opportunity to take those things, to leverage them, and I think in a way to actually draw less attention to them because of the fact that by owning them, they seem less out of place. Let me give you one of the... I think is one of the most poignant examples of this in like the current time or right now, major difference between 
the Marvel movies and the DC movies, in my mind, is the Marvel movie. But I'm going to boil down to something specific. The Marvel movies make no apologies for the fact that they are superhero movies about colorful superheroes doing outlandish things. They're fun. DC is trying entirely too hard. They're apologizing from start to finish for being superhero stuff. Which is why the DC TV works so much better. They because it. it doesn't do that. Yes, and I agree some with you. Some of it. Well, okay, yes, yeah, there is some crap in there. But this is why... I, I would argue the worst of the DC TV, which would be uh, uh, Legends of Tomorrow, uh-huh. is still better than Batman versus Superman. It depends if we're talking extended cut or not. But the, the point being, though, that if you look at the DC stuff, like, look at uh, what Christopher Nolan, let's forget even the current stuff. Let's go back a few years. Christopher Nolan, one of the things that he said that he was going to do from the outset is make Batman a ninja. Was no. Well, yes, but no, that, that's not what I was getting at. Is he was going to keep the entire thing as plausible as it could possibly be within the confines of what Batman is. And so, if you're willing to accept just the suspension of disbelief that Batman is possible. That's really about as far as you have to suspend your disbelief. For example, he said he was not going to do any of the enemies that required magic, super science, etc. You are never going to see Solomon Grundy. You are never going to see Poison Ivy. You are never going to see Mr. Freeze. You were never, even Ra's al Ghul, his immortality had nothing to do with Lazarus Pits. In the novelization, it did. But in Christopher Nolan's telling, it did not. It was just one person passing down a title from generation to generation to generation, he wasn't immortal. You know, Liam Neeson's character did not live forever. He was just a regular man who was playing smoke and mirrors at a psychological level. Even with Bane, they took away the venom. They took away the, the strength serum. And he was... And they added in something it, it, it's, terrible. It's, it's some kind <laughs> of... Incomprehensible. Yeah, it's some kind of anesthetic that they never explain why he needs... But it's kind of like the reverse venom in that, <laughs> that it's bad. It do, it, well, it doesn't make him stronger. It just keeps him from being weaker. I, I don't know. But it, Which it's was annoying because out of all of Batman's rogue gallery, the venom is what makes the most sense. That's something you actually could do a form of steroid, right. a chemical that makes you yeah. stronger. That's possible. And Bane was played by Tom Hardy, who's a really, really good actor. And fun to watch, but... I don't know, everyone's excited he's going to be Venom, and I just wish they'd get back to him being Mad Max. But that's another story for another time. Here's the thing, though. DC spends too much time apologizing. Now, Marvel did the same thing until Doctor Strange was something else. Magic. There was no magic in Marvel. It was always misunderstood super science. And despite the fact that both Marvel and DC are rife with magic... They would not just own it and say, you know what? Screw it. It's magic. It's not science. It's not super science. It's not alien technology. Yes, I'm familiar with the quote about any sufficiently advanced technology, blah, blah, blah. They just said, you know what? Screw it. It is wizardry. That was something DC unpuckered with a little bit earlier. And then Marvel, I was pleased, finally unpuckered as well into Doctor Strange, where once again, it was not super technology. It was not whatever. It was just mysticism. And how do you tell something like, let's say I was trying to give you an elevator pitch to, to Dr. Strange, and I was trying to explain to you how this is about magic, but it, it, it's not magic, right? Like Thor? 
Yes, bingo. Great example. And look at the, the movies in general. If I'm trying to pitch to you a superhero game, and rather than just owning that it's a superhero game, and that's what you're playing, I'm trying to repackage it in all these ways to where I'm distracting you with it. I'm not owning it, leveraging it, letting you have fun with that has, idea. Has letting someone you- ever pitched to you a game like that where they say, okay, it's A, it's A, it has all these elements of A, and then when you actually sit down and play it, it's it's actually B? B doesn't necessarily mean bad, it's just totally different than A. Yes, I can actually think of a couple. I think perhaps one of the, if we're going to talk, this is at the setting level, not at the game level, the way that Ravenloft was run for me. Now, I don't know how accurate that was to the setting, but the... Well, where we just followed around NPCs and watched them kill stuff for us? Yeah, well, even that aside. Because that was a bad game. Even that no aside. No one wants to admit that their Ravenloft game is just a Twilight fanfiction. Well, that's the thing is, it, it wasn't. I think if it had just owned that this is a mashup of all kinds of various monster stuff that we're just taking at least the feel, if not the material of Bram Stoker and Mary Shelley and all these kind of Victorian era horror writers. And that's what we're telling. That's not, I mean, maybe that's what they wrote. I don't know, but that's not what was run for me. What was run for me felt much more like a GM power trip. It felt much more modern in terms of its horror sensibilities The worst thing about that game is that we were attacked by a bunch of guys in cloaks and they had staff. And I asked, well, what are the staffs made of? And I'm thinking like, I was trying to get a description. Are they, are they like really long? Are they pointed? Are they spears? And he, cause I think he said something like, you know, long poles or something. And he's like, no, they're made of stone. And I'm like, that's a terrible material to make a staff (laughs) out of. I mean, I'm wearing metal armor. They're just going to hit me and their shit's going to break. I was like, no, it's stone. It's going to knock you all around. And he, he, I'm like, wait, is it a club? Like a big rock club, right? No, it's a stat like Robin of Loxley on the log in the quarterstaff dual staff. Pull, you know, it's a broom handle made of stone. And I'm like, this is, this is terrible. Sorry, sorry. That was the worst part of the game for me, really. It just took me out of everything. It just, it just pulled me out of reality, Dan. I don't care that it was Mike's wank about <laughs> how awesome vampires are and that we just got to follow them around and let people kill stuff for us. We had a very different experience on this game, I'll tell you that. Yeah, we did. <laughs> it was not what was Neither was. were good experiences. <laughs> so what's the advice here, though? Are you saying... When you pitch a role-playing game as a game master to your players, try and be an, as honest as possible. Like, and don't, I don't dance around what you're trying to do. If you're trying yeah. to run a stupid, silly, over-the-top Castlevania game like I'm going to be trying to do. Oh my god, just you're don't. running a Castlevania game? Yes, I am. Can I come to where you live and play it? Uh, <laughs> it's going to be run over Roll20. Mm. Anyway, if you're trying to do that, which I am, don't shy away from it. Don't try to pretend you're going to be serious. There's going to be stupid Dracula castles. And I will be searching for gear and candles. They will be awesome Dracula candles (laughs) that will have an awesome, impossibly rickety clock tower that you have to climb. I mean, come on. Upside down. (laughs) Yeah. While time is running backwards. Exactly. Oh, my God. You understand. Yeah. I mean, I think that's kind of in this morass of a topic here. (laughs) 
I think Nobody that's kind of it was going to be pretty. The, right, well, well, that, that's kind of the advice, though. I yeah, think. yeah, I, th- it, I think that be, is be good. true to thine self. It, it's not that don't pitch. We're not saying don't pitch something that you're not going to run. You shouldn't do that, but that's not the advice. Don't apologize for it. Don't hide it. If people don't want to play it, or you don't want to even admit what it is you're offering, then it's already dead on arrival. If you tell people, look, I'm going to give you this space to play in, just own it and have fun with it, then there's at least a possibility that people will run with it, and it's going to work out. But I think that has to start with, Number one, you have to be honest with yourself about what an intellectual property offers, whether that's system, setting, story, whatever. And then secondly, I think you have to be honest with the people that you are running it for. That, look, this is what we're going to do. It's one of my favorite gaming anecdotes, is even though we had a lot of other issues in the game, is I was playing a sci-fi game that, that Paul ran for us, and I asked him at one point, what are they shooting at us? And rather than saying stone, <laughs> his answer to me is he looked me straight in the face and said, special effect number four. Boom. <laughs> Honest, you're there. Yeah, I, mean, I, I was like, great. And I, in my yeah. head, I pictured these kind of blue bolts, and I don't know what they were. Was it plasma, particle shots? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Right. You know, and actually, that's very freeing, because, Dan, I'm, I'm going to tell you about yourself here for a second. Okay. The sci-fi you like, is it tends towards the realistic. Yes. I think that... That was a really interesting thing to watch and to think back on because one would think that you're playing this game that's like part anime, part gonzo sci-fi, part just outrageousness, but still tries to be sci-fi. And you ask that question. It's like, okay, what what are they shooting at me? Here's lasers, whatever. And he says special effect number five. I think that a lot of people with your view on science fiction would take that and be like, oh, Geez, stone staffs, come on, I'm out. What the f***? <laughs> but you didn't. And actually, instead of just accepting it, right, I feel that it actually freed you in a way. Don't get me wrong, not from your attitude on sci-fi, which is totally legit and something. It did free me of my attitude but, on that game. Yeah, on the game. Uh, I think it allowed you, it defined the game for you. You understood now how to interact with the game. Instead of, because I think... Leading up to that, we didn't play very long before that, but in the the steps leading up to it, you were a round peg trying to fit into a square hole. You, you were trying to approach it from a logical science standpoint, science fiction standpoint. And you, but then that moment happened and you're like, oh, got it. Now I know exactly what to do. And boom, you were right in there. Yeah. And we you were in Flash fun. Gordon, but you were trying to play Battlestar Galactica. Well, and I think it also helped that the Game Master knew what he was running. Mm hmm. I mean, that answer did not take contemplation. No. He immediately knew. Yeah. He's, he's like, I'm running a cinematic game. Mm-hmm. It's a movie. It's about the flare. It's about the flash. It's about the whiz bang. And I, it was, he didn't even pause, take a breath. Special effect number whatever. He even says and, stuff like, we had cut scenes. Yeah, right? we did. And he would have, okay, and then the camera pans back and you see this part of the scene and this guy comes in from and it it was very cinematic i mean i i think one of the other piece of advice i would give in this and this is a drum that i know i beat fairly often but don't I, touch my character sheet no not that that oh no i will that's <laughs> damn we don't need to hear more about you beating yourself I speak for yourself <laughs> <laughs> 
I know. Now I, I'm trying to imagine like what kind of drum Dan is. I don't and need I, to because she keeps leaving herself wide open for me. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I hear you can just walk right in. <laughs> but um, so but, but but I don't even know what I was gonna say now. What, what have you done to me? I get that a lot. <laughs> I, I've heard. <laughs> this is fear the boot confessions. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell was I saying? Uh, <laughs> no clue. But the point that I come back to a lot is I, I think there also has to be a certain amount of trust and open-mindedness. Mm-hmm. You know, if I go to you or you come to me and say, look, try this out. You know, just, just I can't give you a good elevator pitch. It's going to sound terrible, but I think I've got something here. Mm-hmm. You know, when I came to you with the suggestion of you ought to try Gotham, I don't remember if you already had or not, but you did watch it and mm-hmm. you tried it and you're enjoying it. I had the same thing with Persona. Multiple people told me, Dan, you need to try Persona. I finally broke down, tried it, and once again, I've already beaten my first playthrough and am preparing a second. And I really enjoyed it. Dread, I have no idea what motivated me to watch that one. And I just walked out of there. It was like walking out. It was like doing the walk of shame out of a <laughs> Vegas cat house because I did not ever discuss that with anyone until Chad at some point let slip that he had also yeah. been with Carl Urban and <laughs> he had paid for the chin. I mean, he had left what it takes to get the chin. Mm-hmm. And uh, he and I were both kind of like, so you do. <laughs> as you sit yeah, there rubbing, rubbing my chin. chin. It's like, you know, Dawn <laughs> doesn't know. Carla doesn't know. They don't need they to know. know. They Car- wouldn't even understand it. But, it would just scare them. Well, you like, know, I have a I have a thing like that where like I have done that. I dropped a subtle hint to I think it was either Street Fighter or Dread. I can't remember which, but this person three chairs over that I barely knew just like turned and locked eyes with me like I know your secret. <laughs> I know your dark I, wickedness. I know you. But it's a it's a movie about Carl Urban's chin taking on a villainous whose name is Mama. <laughs> I, and and you know what? Look, if this, I can't elevator I, pitch this. I'm I'm gonna even go further than that. Everything you said is true. And get this: it's not about Judge Dredd. He's barely in it. <laughs> he has no lines. It's mostly about the blonde chick, right? I, whose name I forget. I forget the Anderson. character. Is it Judge Anderson? She's the psychic one. Yes, he is almost setting. He's kind of force yeah. of nature. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, you can't ignore his presence. No. Sort of like how Tom Hardy played Mad Max is Mad Max. He is so as somebody explained him perfectly well, despite the fact that he is utterly insane. All this stuff. Mad Max is actually the calm of the storm in the middle of his universe. <laughs> That's another f- movie that sounds terrible. A group of people steal cars, drive to one place, and then drive back through a giant wall of sand. Look, Fury Road looked terrible. Every preview I saw, people were just busting nuts to it. Every preview I saw, I'm like, this movie looks awful. And I say as someone who enjoyed all three of the prior Mad Max movies, at least to a level of, you know, base enjoyment, sure. okay? Yeah. Not, not Shakespeare, but at least base enjoyment. But when I saw all the previews for Fury Road, I'm like, this looks awful. It's a bunch of guys in gonzo cars driving into a sandstorm for two hours. Okay, that's cool for like a car chase, <laughs> but that's the plot. And yet that movie was great. Another well, movie I haven't seen. They've even well, titled its sequel and they just won't freaking make it. They need to get around to doing this. Well, okay. So Mad Max, Fury Road. Haven't seen it. 
would you like to hear my opinion on it? Because it's not the popular one. No. <laughs> well, you're going to get it anyway. All right. It, it, as long as I had, I'm going to give you two rules. One, keep it concise. And two, well, 1.5. <laughs> it does not tie into Gwent. <laughs> and, and two, if there are any damn gender politics in this uh, over no. the presence or role of Furiosa. Uh, no. Okay. Like I said, it's go. not the popular version. All right, go. All right. So everyone, not everyone, but most people say Mad Max Fury Road is, what, what did you call it? You said it was a great movie. All right. It was certainly a whole lot better than I expected. Okay, so that's different. All right? So everyone is saying, or did say back when it was out, that this is a great movie. It is a wonderful movie. It's such a well-made, well-done movie. It is not. It is an entertaining movie, and it is a fun movie, and I enjoyed watching it, and I don't quite understand why I found it so entertaining or why it was so fun. It is a movie about driving from point A to point B back to point A again. That's the entire plot. You have characters walking off into the middle of sand going, no, which is really a stupid trope. You have people going places, expecting things, and the things don't happen. And they're like, no, and then they turn around and drive off again. It is a movie about driving, and it's not even a road trip movie, all right? It is not very well made as a movie. Now, here's the thing before people like dox me and try and crucify me on the lawn. There are elements of the movie that are some of the best made elements we have seen in a movie in a long, long time. The car chase scenes, the action scenes are practical effects yeah, for not, the most part. They're, they're not, not CG'd. Mostly, most of them. Mostly, yes. Most of them. There is a lot of CG involved. There is sense of a unique style, right? You could take a look at the film and say, well, it's just junkyard chic, whatever. No, there is a consistent, definite style that is going on there. There is a subtle world building that is going on in the background it is never in the foreground i mean there's the plot of well there's the uh, imperator joe or Emer i forget what his name is the, the emerton joe emerton emerton joe joe there's joe and his faction and you know that's that that's not the world building but there's this sort of world building in the background they created a religion. They created a slang for the religion. They created a hierarchy, a case system. They they created a greater world and how the world politics work. All right. All that is really cool, but it's just a couple of elements. There are other elements like the story, which sucks. It goes from point A to point B back to point A. That's it. That's the story. There's some really terrible acting. But it is counterbalanced by having very, very cool characters played by really good actors and actresses. The movie as a whole isn't very good. It breaks a lot of rules of what makes a good, entertaining, consistent, cogent story. But the elements that comprise it, say there's like 10 elements, I'm just making a number up. Right. Say there's like 10 elements that make up this movie. Seven of them are terrible. But the rest are so good, they overshadow the bad elements. I, I will, okay. 
it to make a very entertaining and very fun movie. I, I, you might want to stop before people just like assassinate you. I know, right? I actually, Chad, I'm, I'm going to throw my lot in with yours because I actually agree with you on that. Thank the you. There were elements of the movie that I felt were sufficiently strong yes. that they carried the rest of the movie for me. One of the things that bothered me about the previews and bothered me in the movie, mm-hmm. but was overcome by other elements to the point it didn't bother me enough to do, really degrade my experience is in the prior Mad Max movies, for the most part, driving and the cars, Mm -hmm. it was the aesthetic of conflict. When you Some of the Mad Max movies don't really have that much driving. No, they don't. But you understood that the car represented both an actual and symbolic conflict. Mm -hmm. It's freedom to move, and it's also the way that, depending on the movie, Mm -hmm. that violence gets settled and a man or a woman their metal is understood, right? That mm-hmm. you test a person. The movies were never about the driving. No. This nor, one, nor were they ever really about Mad Max, except for the first one. This one was. Mm-hmm. It was uh, yeah. the driving, that is. It, it's whether it was about Mad Max or not is that's the debate I don't want to get into. <laughs> but it was about the driving. They drove, like you said, from mm-hmm. point A to point B and then drove from point B back to point A. But, you know, it it worked because of the fact that whether he did it intentionally or not, I think George Miller was fairly honest with himself, or at least seemed to be, Mm -hmm. about what he had and what he was working with. And the movie never tried to be something it couldn't be. Mm -hmm. Well, I understand that it's his world. It's not like there's a writer who wrote this and who takes stabs at it. Nope. And then this is kind he of a just one produces and Yeah. I mean, it's, that's his stick. It's like, what if you started making movies and then you got successful enough and you started making a SOG movie? Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's going to be all I just had the bank you. account and mm-hmm. yeah. All right. Thanks for working in this one. And don't forget to check the show notes for that link to the, uh, the Gwent video. Gwent. Oh, that's right. And then Chad's Gwent league. Yes, so there's a threat. And like I said, if this actually gets going, I'll come up with some kind of prize support for it. So, and I want to thank our Patreon listeners for bearing through this episode yes. of listening to the this raw right. plotting through the, the quagmire of this. Anyway, <laughs> this is about like trying to find the good parts of the thin red line, <laughs> except there were a few. <laughs> thank you guys for tuning in. Have a great week and great games. And we will catch you next time. Yeah. Thank you.